Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As Drew Allen. I look to this guy for wisdom. Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. This is Drew Allen, uh, the Millennial Minister of Truth. Uh, speaking more wisdom in 60 minutes here than you'll hear from uh, the mouths of Democrats in an entire lifetime. Uh, exciting news for you, by the way. Uh, starting today, uh, I, uh, this show is going to be produced by Right America Media. Uh, I'm really excited to be, be a part of that platform. Uh, you know, I'll continue to give you more information on that as we go forward. But now, you know, we're introducing the video component uh, of this as well. People are always saying, Drew, you're such a fantastic looking guy. Why aren't you doing video? Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, partially. But, you know, we do have video now. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce that, unveil that. And the, the podcast will still be available everywhere. Uh, you're used to listening to it as well on Spotify, Apple, and so on and so forth. But uh, but let's get to it. This is the 127th episode, I believe, uh, of the Drew Allen Show. And, you know, it's a marvel to behold what's happening in this country right now. Not just the abject, I mean, disaster that is the Democratic Party, and, and the devastation, you know, and the pain that, that has been caused as a result of this. Uh, but, you know, the, the Democratic Party continues to unravel before our very eyes. I mean, the Democrats are, are going to lose more than than just the midterms. I mean, they're already losing their minds and that's going to get worse. And so, look, we've we've got to show up and vote and it's looking more and more like a red tsunami. But the, the, the thing that, that just bewilders me, that stuns me. And honestly, you know, this is kind of like the Achilles heel right now of these tyrants on the left. I mean, their hubris is so great. Their pride is so, so extensive and unchecked that they, they, they are, are just denialists, if there is such a word. They, they are in denial of everything happening. I mean, you've got some of the pollsters out there now, right? I mean, they're being honest because their livelihoods depend upon, you know, giving kind of a, a, an honest prediction of what's happening here. And those polls are closing. And this is typical, I think, you know, you know, if you go back a month or two, some of these Democrats were leading by 17 points. And now it's, it's an even tie. I mean, what's changed since August? Nothing. I mean, you know, the Democrats hoped, of course, that they were going to use the abortion issue. And that was pretty much an abortion. You know, they, they had managed to, to, uh, to, to pillage enough oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves to get gas prices down a little bit. But mind you, they were still much higher than they were, of course, when Biden came into office, uh, when he began his war on American energy independence. But they were hoping to, to ride that wave. And I said, and I'm probably not the only one, but I know at that time, I said, look, one, there's a lot of things that are going to happen between you know August and November. Uh, but also, I mean, none of this is going away. I mean, abortion is not going to become the issue that the Democrats are hoping. It's just not going to happen. People care about the fact that they can't put gas in their car. They cannot buy groceries. They can't feed their families. These are always the important. Look, and, and you know what's interesting about those issues, right? <clears throat> when you get into abortion, uh, you know, uh, you know, cutting off your child's genitalia, uh, you know, and having them choose their own pronoun. I mean, one, uh, you know, the majority of the American people are not really in support of that, uh, of this, you know, uh, uh, abortion till birth, for example. But, you know, these issues of, of economics, right? Uh, I mean, these are these are bipartisan issues. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're if you're black. It doesn't matter uh, if, if you're purple. It, it, none of it. It's all irrelevant if you're transgender, whatever. Everyone's hurting, and it's because of the Democratic Party's uh, war on, on America here, war on our economic system. Um, you know, this this insistence that that they fundamentally transform this country to make us all, you know, they're slaves. And there's a theme that will break out today, and, and it, it is that, look, we, we have regressed so far uh, in this country. I mean, we essentially are moving pretty quickly, and, and these signs are abundant. Uh, you know, towards basically a pre-civil rights period in America, but you just need to, need to substitute Republicans or, frankly, any opponents of the Democrats as blacks. That's where we are. But, uh, you know, I'll lead off with this question, too. I mean, what, what is the difference between the CCP, right, the, the Chinese, communist Chinese and the American government? What's the difference today between the CCP and the Democratic Party? Pretty much, I mean... Look, we still have elections at the moment. And you might say, hey, uh, you know, uh, that, that seems like a significant difference. Sure, it does. But it's not really such a big difference when you take into account the fact that this federal government 
is populated by corrupt, unaccountable bureaucrats that are Democrats that, that undermined a Republican administration. And, you know, Democrats, they want to do away with elections uh, altogether as well. And they'll need to after these midterms because they're, they're, they're about to get a wake-up call. You know, um, as I was mentioning before, before I continue on this, uh, I want to talk about Danchenko. I want to talk about what they did to Flynn and, and the absolute abuse of power by the FBI. They are the, the, the brown shirts, the Gestapo of the Democratic Party. Uh, no doubt about it. That becomes more and more clear every day. But, you know, the pollsters and some of the news organizations, even the propagandist media out there, they are reporting on this red tsunami, this red wave that's coming. And every day, you know, these polls tighten. Uh, and, and these these places, look, you've got, you know, uh, I'll give you a couple examples. New York, that governor race. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Hutchell had a 17-point lead last month. Well, now, you know, she, she's, she's leading by, I think, four points. Uh, Rhode Island, there's a house race there. This one's huge. That has been a Democrat... Uh, controlled seat for 31 years. And now it's uh, dead even. And, and in fact, it looks like the Republican candidate could actually pull that off and win. I think he might be ahead in the polls if I, uh, last I checked today. You've got Keith Ellison, the attorney general, Democrat in Minnesota. Well, guess what? He's in a tie with the Republican challenger. So, I mean, this is, this is huge stuff. And so they're reporting this. But if you ask Nancy Pelosi and these Democrats, I mean, the, the, the denial, you know, I, I mentioned... A couple of days ago, how Pelosi went on the late night snooze with uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Stephen Colbert, right? And she she asserted that she she thought, I mean, you just you can't make this stuff up. She she said on on TV that the Democratic Party was gonna was gonna maintain control of the House and expand their 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 margins in both the House and the Senate. I mean, this is pure delusion. And and, and you have Pelosi still. I think uh, she was on uh, uh, some other news program. Well, it's not news, it's propaganda, but you, you understand. Uh, she was on a show, the, and she said, you know, look, I mean, the, the, the Democrats are getting just destroyed by, by one, of the, one of the significant issues is, is crime, right? I mean, they're the party of defund the police, even though they tried to lie and say it was Republicans that were the defund the police party a while back. But they are the party of defund the police. And these police forces in most of these states uh, and these big cities that, that obviously need police, police, uh, a police presence the most, you know, they're in Democrat-run cities. You know, the police force has, has uh, diminished, right? I mean, 20% of the people have quit. I mean, they've shrunk. Uh, crime has skyrocketed in these places. And this is an issue, just like the economy. Well, uh, don't worry. Pelosi says she doesn't agree with the polls that show that crime and inflation are the top issues. So, you know, whatever. I mean, this, this is the, the insanity of the left right now. But all right. So back back to this this difference between the CCP and the Demo and the Democratic Party, which there is none. You know, I mean, here's essentially where we are in America. Take so imagine if if China held elections, right? Demo uh, democratically held elections tomorrow, right? And they elected somebody other than than Xi, all right? But then Xi loyalists, well, they colluded to bring down the duly elected president who was not Xi in China. Would we celebrate China? Would we say, look, at least they have elections? Or would we lambast them for subverting the will of the Chinese people? Because that is exactly what's happened in America today. The American people elected Donald Trump in 2016 against overwhelming odds, right? That was the same thing. These pollsters that, are, that were just disgraced. You know, they said, hey, uh, there's a 99.9% .9 chance, you know, Hillary wins. And then Trump won. And then what happened? The Democratic Party, the FBI, the establishment, the deep, the deep state, the swamp, whatever they're called, they, they, they sabotaged Donald Trump. Unelected officials and elected Democrats did that. And, um, you know, we need to have a significant conversation about and address the reality that, you know, we, we, th th there is not uh, justice in America anymore. You, you know, I want to I bring up a point. Democrats like to talk about Emmett Till, right? Emmett Till, my, my gosh. I mean, a, a young teenage black boy. Uh, who was murdered by white Southern Democrats, racists. Uh, they beat him. They mutilated him, gouged out one of his eyes. They shot him in the head and they threw him in a river. The kid did nothing wrong. Two white men, Democrats, murdered Emmett Till. Well, they had a trial, right? You know, justice in America. So in the South... Uh, the, the, the murders were put on trial for the, you know, brutal murder of Emmett Till. And an all-white jury, guess what they determined? Unanimously. 
that those two men who killed that young black boy were innocent. Now, so they were they were acquitted. So, you know, based so, so were they were they innocent because the the jury there determined that they were so or was it a, a great travesty? Uh, you know, a com complete abuse of the system that we had. Of course, that's what it was. So you had a corrupt jury, uh, you know, that rendered this ver verdict. They protected their own, right? So that's what we have happening here. So, you know, in that world, blacks could be found guilty of crimes that they didn't commit, and whites uh, who were guilty could be found innocent. So that's what's happening with Danchenko and against Flynn. That's the only conclusion that can be reached. Uh, the FBI protected Danchenko, who was guilty, and they bullied General Flynn into pleading guilty. All right, Flynn was innocent, but he was destroyed. Danchenko was guilty, uh, and he was protected. Same can be said of Michael Sussman and numerous other Democrats. Hillary Clinton, we'll get into some audio in a little bit about that, because I want to, I just, I, we have to address this. We have to address this, and this should outrage all of us, because until this is fixed, I mean, what, what does it matter when we win these elections? So before we talk about Danchenko, uh, who was the primary subsource, right, of the Steele dossier, that was the uncorroborated garbage document, lies that were stuck in a binder, used as evidence that Trump colluded with Putin to steal a 2016 election. But before we do Danchenko, let's talk about Michael Flynn to set the stage, to set up the comparison here of what's going on in our pre-civil rights uh, America that we're returning to. Um, so after Trump was elected, remember, the Trump team entered what? This transition period, right? By which they prepared to take over uh, the responsibilities of running the country, right? Happens every time you have an election and somebody new is elected. So in, the, at this, in this period of time during the transition, Michael Flynn had conversations with various leaders, ambassadors, etc., which every incoming administration lawfully engages in. And one of the individuals that Michael Flynn, General Flynn, spoke with in his capacity as the incoming U.S. National Security Advisor, uh, was a, was a um, Russian ambassador. Now, look, this, there was nothing wrong about this. Uh, Obama, you know himself, of course, spoke to 22 foreign leaders during his transition. This is not abnormal. It's standard protocol. And of those 22 foreign leaders that Obama spoke to, do you think that he remembered every single word, every conversation he had with these 22 foreign leaders? No, most of us can't remember what we had uh, for breakfast. Uh, certainly not Joe Biden, who can't even remember, um, you know, after eulogizes a, a Democrat congresswoman who was killed tragically in an auto accident. Well, you know, a few weeks later, he goes out uh, and asks her to stand up at the White House. You know, I'm talking about uh, Congresswoman Jackie Walorski. Jackie, where are you? Jackie, you know, two weeks before he, he, he says, I'm so sad and so sorry that she died. And then he's looking for her at the White House. So anyway, so one of Flynn's many conversations during this transition was with the Russian ambassador, all right, to the U.S. His name was Sergei uh, K Kislyak, all right? And this phone call was recorded unbeknownst uh, to Flynn, right? So this was transcribed, it was recorded by the FBI. They had a copy of this transcript. And this conversation happened on December 29th, 2016. Secretly recorded. They were spying on Flynn, spying on the entire Trump team already, you know? And uh, so Obama, on his way out the door, right, during this transition period, suddenly decides he's going to sanction Russia, right, for election meddling. What election meddling? You mean like the Clinton election meddling, the, the lying about Trump-Russia collusion, the, 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 the fake dossier? Well, anyway, on this short phone call with Kislyak, uh, Flynn said he really hoped that Russia wouldn't overreact to Obama's sanctions. You know, don't do this tit for tat where everyone's trying to out-tough the other guy. That's it, all right? And also, you know, why do you think that Obama decided to do this at the end of December, right? I mean, he asserted, oh, yeah, you know, the Russians have been meddling for a long time. So he waits until the end of December to do this, to, to, to impose these sanctions? Well, firstly, he wanted to lend credibility to this Trump-Russia collusion hoax, and probably he wanted to put a landmine in front of Trump. As he, as he went into the office, right? He wanted to sabotage the administration, do as much damage as he could. So let me sanction Putin and tick him off. Uh, here you go. Here's the keys to the White House. <clears throat> so anyway, so he decided to escalate things with Russia on his way out. Uh, so a couple days later on December 31st, all right, 
Michael Flynn has another follow-up conversation uh, with the Russian ambassador. And um, the Russian ambassador told Flynn that Putin was not going to escalate things, and, and that was that. All right, so that was December 2016. Now, fast forward a few weeks. January 24th, 2017. Two FBI agents ask Flynn if they can talk to him. It's very casual. All right, but to understand why this conversation was even happening, this casual approach of Flynn, hey, can we talk to you about a couple things? It was a voluntary interview. We have to go back a few weeks still. What was the FBI's reasoning, rationale, explanation for this interview? Why were they asking Flynn anything at all? Did he do something wrong? No, he didn't do anything wrong. A week and a half before, the FBI leaked, are you, are you listening? Leaked classified documents. Now, mind you, you know, they're raiding Mar-a-Lago's uh, home a couple months ago, right? Because he's got so-called, you know, classified documents locked up uh, in some storage down below Mar-a-Lago in the bowels of the, the beautiful estate. But, you know, you've got the FBI here leaking classified documents of Flynn's conversation with the Russian ambassador to the media. And it's important to note, you know, Flynn didn't even initiate these conversations with Kislyak. Kislyak had texted uh, Michael Flynn on, on December 28th, the day before the first conversation, asking to talk because Obama had publicly already announced forthcoming sanctions against Russia for the election meddling on December 27th. And this was reported by the Washington Post. So Kislyak, he expresses Putin's outrage to Flynn. And Flynn says he hoped Putin wouldn't do anything crazy, right? Putin would never do anything crazy, right? But that's it. So Kislyak calls back the next day or whatever and said Putin wouldn't go crazy. Now the media, this is, remember the Logan Act, right? Logan Act, this, this, this absurd uh, uh, law, you know, from the 18th century, I believe, that's never even been used to, to prosecute somebody, actually. No one's ever been actually found guilty of violating the Logan Act. But, but the media tried to accuse Flynn of violating this obscure law, the Logan Act. All right? So the Logan Act basically criminalizes uh, negotiations with unauthorized American citizens. So it's supposed to prevent some American citizen from undermining the government, which, by the way, is what uh, Joe Biden's family did while Trump was president. I'll play that clip in a minute. That's when he... Uh, approached uh, Qatar and said, hey, if you don't like what Trump's doing, you know, hey, maybe talk to the Biden family. We're not president. We're not in, in government, but that's the Logan Act. Flynn negotiate anything. And he wasn't just some citizen. He was an incoming official. So he was never, ever going to be found guilty of the Logan Act. It wasn't going to happen. It was, it was another fantasy of the left. They wanted to claim a scalp. They were accusing being a traitor. And so under this pretense, right, they leak this, and the Logan Act's out there, and the FBI says, hey, uh, Flynn, can we talk to you about these, these conversations you had? Now, they had the transcripts, and Flynn knew they had the transcripts because the media published the confidential uh, documents, the transcripts of his phone conversation. So they go to Flynn, and they say, hey, hey, can we, can we just talk to you for a minute, you know? And Flynn says, yeah, sure, sure, let's, 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 let's talk. But, but the FBI wasn't trying to clear the air. They had... Uh, uh, different intentions. It was a setup. They had this plan. So Flynn sits down with these FBI agents, right? And they say, hey, uh, in light of all this bad media coverage, well, you know, we, 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 we should talk about what happened. You know, you talk to this Russian ambassador about, you know, Obama sanctions. And by the way, guess who one of these FBI agents was that was trying to set up Flynn? Peter Stroke. That's right. Peter Stroke, uh, infamous, who had the uh, ongoing affair with Lisa Page. So they're trying to catch him off guard. And the FBI, by the way, violated every protocol. They didn't tell anyone in the Trump administration about their approach of Flynn. They didn't notify the White House counsel. They wanted to make sure Flynn was alone and exposed, vulnerable, unsuspecting. And you know what, Captain? That, that's uh, Mr. Producer here. Captain, will you, will you queue up actually for me? Um, cut one. So I, I want to play actually the clip before I, I get into it of what Comey said. All right, this is Comey bragging about what they did. So forget my explanation of what the FBI did to, uh, to Flynn. You can hear from Comey's lips himself. All right, go ahead and uh, play, play cut one, go. Something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration, <laughs> the protocol, two men that all of us have 
perhaps increased appreciation for uh, over the last two years. And in both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. We placed a call to Flynn, said, hey, we're sending a couple guys over. Uh, hope you'll talk to them. He said, sure. Nobody else was there. They interviewed him in a conference room at the White House Situation Room, and he lied to them. And that's what he's now pled guilty to. What did he think they were coming over there for? Uh, I don't think he knew. Well, there you go. There you go. Is that not remarkable? I mean, so whatever. You know, I, I won't rehash. You heard it from his lips, all right? Now, what's important to note as well, uh, prior to this setup as, as well, you know, we have additional information. It came out a long time ago, of course. Um, you had the FBI head of counterintelligence, Bill Priestap. He met with James Comey and Andrew K. McKay, and they hatched the plan to send these agents over. And in a note, I believe that Bill Priestap uh, uh, wrote from the meeting, uh, he wrote, what is our goal? Uh, truth and admission or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. Since when is it the FBI's role to go about trying to get somebody to lie so they can prosecute him or try to get somebody in an administration fired because they don't like them, because they are a Republican, because they work for Trump. And that was Flynn's only crime, was working for Trump. And Flynn had no motivation to lie. He knew they had the transcripts. They'd been leaked to the media and published. It was classified. And so um, here's the result. Here's what the FBI uh, uh, said, essentially. So they asked Flynn if he talked to the ambassador and asked him to refrain from escalating things with the U.S. Flynn said he didn't ask him to refrain from escalating the situation in response to Obama's sanctions. Did he? Did he? Memory is a funny thing, an interpretation as well, by the way. Now, Flynn, in that conversation, had... Uh, talked about way more than just these sanctions. They discussed Middle East policy, achieving peace in Syria, logistics surrounding the, the, the Putin. Uh, Putin wanted to call Trump on a secure video line at the end of January to congratulate him. And, and to be clear, because this is important when we're about to talk about Danchenko, we're almost there. Here's what Flynn said verbatim. What I would ask Russia to do is not uh, is, is, if anything, because I know you have to have some sort of action to, to only make it reciprocal. Make it reciprocal. Don't, don't make it, don't go any further than you have to, because I don't want us to get into something that has to escalate on, you know, on, on a tit for tat. Okay, so what? Did he ask him to escalate? And even if he did, who the heck cares? He didn't use the term escalate. He used the word reciprocal. He used the term tit for tat. Remember this, because Flynn did not literally ask the ambassador not to escalate. Not literally. The FBI doesn't push back. They have the transcript. They don't question him. They don't say you sure. So then they move on, and they ask Flynn if he remembers a follow-up conversation in which the, the Russian ambassador said that Russia had chosen to moderate its response to sanctions as a result of Flynn's request. Flynn says he doesn't remember the follow-up. FBI leave. Thank you. Goodbye. Nice to meet you. Have a great uh, time in the Trump administration. Now, final piece here. The FBI, in their notes afterwards, wrote that Flynn had sure demeanor and did not give any indication of deception. But what happened next? Just a few weeks later, Flynn was forced to resign. The corrupt Justice Department, the FBI, brought charges against Flynn for lying to the FBI. And Flynn eventually pled guilty at the advice of his counsel, his lawyers, because they were destroying him financially. They threatened to go after his son. They bullied him. And you know what? In 2020, the Justice Department reversed its decision. They admitted they'd been in the wrong. And this was a travesty. All right, so Danchenko. Danchenko gets off the hook. Danchenko, guess what he was accused of? Lying to the FBI. Lying to the FBI. So you got Flynn who they destroy for quote-unquote lying to the FBI, and Danchenko was just acquitted by a jury, right? A jury of Democrats in Virginia, the D.C. area. And this is the thing, you know, the D.C., you're going to have a jury in D.C.? It, it's like having a pre-1964 jury in the racist Democrat-controlled South of Jim Crow. You want to go before a jury 
of racist white peers as a black man in the South? You think you're going to get a fair trial? Nope. Think again. Same thing here. So Danchenko, unlike Flynn, uh, was not an honorable man. Um, Danchenko, uh, well, he had been a paid FBI source for the uh, Trump-Russia collusion hoax, a confidential human source. You know, I've talked about that previously, right? They were protecting him, trying to keep his name from, from you know, the, the Republicans investigating what the Democrats had done. They didn't want anybody to, for his name, he, they made him a ghost, right? And Danchenko, by the way, when he was on their payroll for Trump-Russia collusion, trying to destroy Trump, the FBI already knew about Danchenko. He wasn't in good standing. He had questionable character back in 2009. Uh, the FBI actually investigated Danchenko over attempts to sell classified information. So here you have somebody who they know attempted to sell classified information. He tried. Here's what happened. Go back in 2008, went to this uh, work event, right? And, he, and he, he approached these people and said that, you know, if they ever got a job working for the U.S. government and they had access to classified information, well, wink, wink, I know some people you could speak to if you want to make a little extra money. That's Danchenko. And the, the FBI thought that, uh, they said in one of their summaries, that Danchenko might even be a Russian spy. So in 2016, knowing all this, the FBI started paying Danchenko. They paid him from March 2017 through October 2020. More than three years, he was on the FBI payroll. Part of uh, Operation Crossfire Hurricane, right? The phony Trump-Russia collusion coup. So back in 2021... Danchenko was taken into custody. He was charged with five counts of making false statements to the FBI. Five. This was part of the Durham investigation. Now, the FBI had interviewed uh, Danchenko back in 2017 about the information he provided to uh, Christopher Steele. See, Christopher Steele used Danchenko as his primary subsource. So Christopher Steele, right, was, was paid to put this dossier together, but he relied upon Danchenko to get his information. Danchenko, for example, provided the story that was in the dossier that uh, Donald Trump, staying at a hotel in Moscow, had um, you know, engaged in some urination acts, right? The PP tape. Uncorroborated, not true, totally invented from his mind, but this is Danchenko. Very trustworthy, isn't he? All right, so the FBI... Um, Here's one of the, the lies, right? The accusations against Danchenko. So in one instance, Danchenko, he told the FBI that he received this anonymous phone call in July 2016 from someone he believed to be the president of the Russian American Chamber of Commerce, who informed him about a conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and Russia. Now, this was included in the dossier. But guess what? Danchenko made that up. According to Durham's reports, Danchenko never even had that phone call, never received the phone call, never received that information from any person who he believed to be the chamber president. The jury acquitted Danchenko of this. Uh, do, do you know why? Well, um, they say, so, so Danchenko gets this anonymous phone call, he says, and uh, he just assumes it's a specific Russian individual. He doesn't confirm it. I mean, is this guy uh, a moron, by the way? Do you remember when Maxine Waters... I'm just thinking about this now. Do you remember when Maxine Waters got pranked by Russians? Right? They, they, they pretended to be... They pretended to be Greta Thunberg. And they were talking to her about climate change. And the pranksters told Maxine how they were going <laughs> to... They were trying to save an island called Chango Chango. It's, it's not a real island, by the way. Just for the low-information voter out there, you know, the rare Democrat that might be listening, looking for some enlightenment from the Drew Allen show. But Waters fell for this, right? Oh, yes, yes, Chong, Chong, Chongo. We must save Chongo Chongo right after we save Manhattan, you know? So anyway, what is it with these Democrats and the prank call? So, so Dan Chanko, you know, claims he, you know, I, I guess it's a prank call is what he's admitting. And uh, so, so anyway... Um, Durham, by the way, figured this out. You know, he, 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 uh, he examined his phone records, right? These are the questions I had. Okay. Well, how deep did they go? Right. I mean, is this just a word for word? So, so Durham did examine phone records and the phone call, guess what? It's not there. 
And that's why he says he doesn't believe the phone call ever happened, that Danchenko made it up. And add to that that the actual person that Danchenko claimed he thought he was talking to, Sergey Milliam, this, you know, uh, Russian-American, whatever, Chamber of Commerce person, well, he denied having that conversation. So, uh, uh, so either uh, he got pranked uh, or he's lying. And uh, the defense for Danchenko, guess what they said? Well, that's not true. He could have used an encrypted phone app. The measures that the FBI and this injustice department will go to not to charge Democrats of crimes is astounding. And the, 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 the links to which they will go to to destroy an innocent person like Flynn or Trump Peter Navarro, any of these people, is astounding. Astounding. So, one other thing that happened here. Um, Danchenko spoke to uh, somebody called Charles Dolan Jr., who was one of his sources uh, for claims made in this dossier. The charge was that Danchenko lied to the FBI because he told them that Dolan Jr. had not provided him any of the info he put in the dossier. So here's how they got Danchenko off the hook. So Durham found an email, right, that proved that he had been in conversation with this Dolan Jr., Charles Dolan Jr., and, and actually committed this. Now, Danchenko uh, told the FBI he hadn't talked to Dolan, right? Well, it had been communicated in email. So technically, this is why I spent four minutes talking about the technicality surrounding the FBI accusing Michael Flynn of, uh, you know, telling directly negotiations, right? Do not escalate. He didn't say don't escalate. So here you have... Janchenko, who's getting off, exonerated on this charge of lying because he hadn't literally talked to Dolan about that material in the dossier. He'd sent an email. I mean, this is insane. I might say, hey, I talked to my mom today, and it was a text message conversation. Are you going to tell me that I didn't? Well, no, I didn't talk to my mom. I, I was texting her, you know? It wasn't. This is so amateur. This is a joke. You know, and, 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 you know, when it came down, here's the th this is why the FBI must be uh, dismantled, completely dismantled. So an FBI agent, uh, I'm looking through this article now to see if I can find the exact quote. Um, Diddly deet. So an FBI, per an FBI agent was actually interviewed. Um, you know, with regards to Danchenko's phone call that never happened. And, and he, he essentially said that, look, he, he believed that, that, that Danchenko was telling the truth, right? He didn't, he didn't get any sense that Danchenko was lying. He believed Danchenko. Now, consider what they did to Flynn. In their, their write-up after the meeting, they said, well, they didn't feel like he was lying to them. Here you have uh, the FBI saying, well, we don't, we don't think that Danchenko was lying. So, okay, there you go. Exonerated. Exonerated. And, you know, this is somebody who was actively involved in a, a coup attempt. Michael Flynn uh, was not involved in any such thing. He was trying to serve his country. So, yeah, anyway, here it is, you know. Um, yeah, a veteran counterintelligence agent named Kevin Helson, right? So he testified that Mr. Danchenko was being honest. Despite all the times he was asked about the random phone call, he never wavered. Kevin Helson was asked, to which Mr. Helson said, no. Oh, okay, well, he didn't waver, so he must have been telling the truth. Anyway, you know, so the FBI concluded they, they believe Flynn was being honest. Danchen Danchenko, here's the victim. This is the thing all the time, right? Hillary Clinton's a victim. Danchenko's a victim. Uh, you know, Joe Biden's a victim, you know, of his own Alzheimer's in the White House. Yeah, they're all, they're all just victims of us, you know? So, you know, this, uh, it's worth mentioning, by the way, 
that, you know, that uncorroborated dossier, it was used to get a wiretap warrant against Carter Page, four of them, as a matter of fact. And I, I just I just think that it's unfortunate because so many Americans, we just kind of have this expectation now that, look, there's never going to be justice for this. And also, we're just so... Uh, we've almost just... You know, the, the reality of, of how serious these, these crimes were, the reality of how dangerous and, and frankly unprecedented this stuff is, it just doesn't seem to, like, to sink in anymore. It's like we're numb to this type of thing because it's, it's become the new normal, living in this country where nothing happens to Democrats who commit crimes. And the Democrats, meanwhile, are fully capable and get away with destroying the lives of innocent Americans that are on the right every single day. You know, a kid in North Dakota is murdered by a Democrat in an SUV. And, and, and the individual, he admitted that, you know, he basically killed him because he believed he was, you know, some, some MAGA extremist. Can you imagine if some right winger ran over some Democrat in an SUV and then told the police, well, you know, I thought he was a dangerous You'd never hear the end of it. The FBI, I don't know. I mean, they'd be hiring as many FBI agents as they're trying to hire IRS agents. You know, they'd be put, putting one outside every door of, of a... Of, of a registered Republican in America to keep an eye on you. They'd be tapping all our phones, you know, as a justification. But I mean, imagine if Mitt Romney or John McCain had paid someone to put together a dossier that said Obama was born in Kenya, right? Ooh, ooh. Oh man, the birther thing, right? I mean, that's the... And so he can't run for president. And so imagine the FBI then used this dossier that said Obama was born in Kenya to get permission to wiretap Obama's campaign advisor. Unbelievable. All right, so uh, I, I want to remind you now about Hillary Clinton, and then we'll get into some of this vaccine stuff, which I don't address too often on here, but it's just, uh, I mean, we're living in the dark ages. We, we're not learning. I mean, this is the, the era. I mean, it's, it's insane. All the enlightenment, you know, that, that, that America has been, uh, you know, championing, frankly, you know, for all of its history that, that has made us great. We're just, we're rejecting all of it. Well, not we, but the Democrats, right? And these political uh, bureaucracies. Um, Captain, cue up uh, clip two. Clip two. So, you know, I want you to hear uh, Comey's response to, to uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. Because this is important. This is important. Hillary Clinton committed a crime. And if someone else had done the same thing, they'd be in trouble. But, you know, it's Hillary. So they're not going to do anything to her. All right. Go ahead and play uh, uh, cut two. Go. Secretary Clinton used several different servers and administrators of those servers during her four years at the State Department. And she also used numerous mobile devices to send and to read email on that personal domain. From the group of 30,000 emails returned to the State Department in 2014, 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or receive. And the lawyers then clean their devices in such a way as to preclude complete forensic recovery. We have conducted interviews and done technical examination to attempt to understand exactly how that sorting was done by her attorneys. Although we don't have complete visibility because we're not able to fully reconstruct the electronic record of that sorting, we believe our investigation has been sufficient to give us reasonable confidence there was no intentional misconduct in connection with that sorting effort. We cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. All the cases prosecuted involved some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified information or vast quantities of information exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see those things here. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. Well, there you have it, all right? <laughs> so, you know, here you go. Is this an impartial FBI? Huh? 
So here's James Comey protecting Hillary, saying that somebody else probably would have gotten in trouble, would have been prosecuted, would have faced charges. But, you know, I'm reading Hillary Clinton's mind and intentions, and I am believing that she can't be capable of such a thing, so nothing's going to happen to her. But, you know, if Flynn, you know, God forbid Flynn, you know, forgets a conversation, we got to throw him in jail. So he protects Flynn, goes after, I mean, is it not remarkable to you if you, I mean, here's Comey, right? So the FBI can read Flynn's mind, put words in his mouth, project criminal intentions, right? And then with Clinton, oh, they can interpret her intentions and project innocence. She's innocent because uh, she's Hillary Clinton. Flynn is guilty because he's Flynn and we don't like him. There's no evidence that Flynn did anything. There's overwhelming evidence that Hillary Clinton did it. But we're just going to invent after excuse and justify everything and just sweep it under the rug. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So anyway, you know, they, 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 they accuse. So all right, let's just let's move on. Let's just get to current stuff, too, with, with, with Joe Biden. Let's just destroy this man today. Does that sound fun? I, I feel like every day is a fantastic day to just destroy the Biden family. So um, remember that they accused uh, Flynn of violating the Logan Act, private citizen undermining, setting up some sat, undermining, uh, you know, whatever. Okay, so I talked about this a week or so ago. That's exactly what the Biden family did, his brother, uh, while Trump was uh, in office. So cue up cut, cut three. This is me uh, on my show uh, a week or two ago explaining this bombshell that the media ignored. Uh, so go ahead, cut three, go. It's been recently released. I saw this on Breitbart News. There was also a letter on Hunter Biden's laptop, which shows... The Biden family pursuing a deal with Qatar while Donald Trump was president of the United States. Treason. So Biden's brother, James, right? He wrote to, uh, to the you know, crown prince, whoever these people are. And he, he wrote, my family could provide a wealth of introductions and business opportunities at the highest levels. So that letter, which was dated August 1st, 2017, right? Donald Trump was inaugurated in January of 2017. So Donald Trump, the newly and duly elected president of the United States, while he's in, in, in the Oval Office, while he's running the affairs of the American government as the executive, the sole member of the executive branch, well, the Biden family writes to the sheikh in Qatar, and he and they, he criticizes the Trump administration as having fractured nature, saying that the Trump administration, uh, you know, was beleaguered by major issues that are not soon to be resolved. And uh, he offered the Biden family, right, offered to help in effectuating the vision of the sheikh, right. So this is a shadow government, a shadow government. So you've got a president of the United States, Donald Trump. And then you've got the Biden family writing letters to our enemies and saying, hey, you know what? Work with us, not Donald Trump. We can help you with your vision. Just, you know, pay us some dough. So in this letter, uh, let's continue. He says, I would be honored to assist in effectuating the vision of his excellency but would be remiss in not pointing out the fractured nature of our current administration. So he's taken a dump on the Trump administration, on the U.S. government, and offering himself as a substitute. This is tantamount, as I said, to the establishment of a shadow government. This is treason. All right, and we're back live. This is uh, Drew Allen in the present, two weeks older and wiser than he was uh, when he made those, those uh, brilliant, astute comments uh, political commentary there and analysis. So, uh, you know, I just, I just, I just want to point that out because this stuff just continues to happen time and time again. There's no reaction whatsoever. They are guilty every single time of that, which they accuse their political opposition of doing. So now Biden's president and, you know, he just did his own little quid pro quo. We tried with the Saudis, right? He threatened them. 
pressured them to postpone cutting back on oil production until after the midterms. Well, now we learned that uh, Joe Biden pressured the Democrat El Paso mayor uh, not to declare a state of emergency. I mean, think about it. Look, 50 illegal immigrants got put on three buses and sent to Martha's Vineyard. And uh, those white Democrats called in the National Guard, got them out of there. It was just, it was, it was too much for them to handle, 50 illegal. You've got thousands coming into El Paso every single day. It's been that way since Joe Biden's come into office and even before because they're a border, you know, a border town. And you've got Joe Biden, right? He doesn't want to solve the border crisis, right? The de- he, he doesn't want to address the issue. He just is concerned with the optics. Hey, hey, just, I know, I know you've got uh, uh, cartels coming through El Paso. I know your children are dying. I know they're dying of drug overdoses. Uh, I know you, you're being stretched to maximum capacity. I know that, you know, more illegals have come into America under my presidency uh, than live in the entire city of Los Angeles. But hey, uh, we just need to make sure. Do not declare a state of emergency, though. I, I know they're declaring states of emergency in Washington, D.C. because, you know, 500 illegals showed up there. I know it's a state of emergency uh, up in New York City where, where, you know, they got a couple busloads of immigrants there. But here in El Paso, where you are getting, uh, you know, 10,000 a day, just do not declare a state of emergency because it's going to make me look bad going into midterms. I mean, this is, uh, th- I got to tell you, this, this, this is the type of thing that just has me fit to be tied, right? I mean, the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, they are not interested in solving a single problem in this country. And when you level up, you know, some of you might acknowledge and say, okay, I see that there are problems. The next step in your, your, your educational journey, all of our educational journey, is understanding that this is intentional. <clears throat> understanding that the Democratic Party hates America and wants to destroy America. This isn't accidental. This isn't because they have intentions and their policies just aren't working. It's because they want this to happen. So we got a crisis. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want anyone to say there's a crisis. Doesn't want attention brought to it. And, and I mean, these people have tyrannical mindsets. You know, uh, Jill Biden at the, uh, gosh, uh, Captain, do you remember what, what, what football game that was? Jill Biden was booed, right? She was booed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I forget which game that was, but, <clears throat> you know, Jill Biden was not well received. She was booed by the audience. And Jill Biden, you know, was put out that, I don't know if he did it yet, but he was he was thinking about calling, I think, the owner of the team. The owner of the team. Oh, it, was the, it was the Eagles. Oh, man, the, my, 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 my nemesis, right? So, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm sorry. And I, I, I'm probably, um, look, I grew up in Dallas, though. So, you know, I have, I have a reason and excuse. And honestly, anybody who hates the Cowboys and wants to express some animosity towards me for being a Cowboys, you know, fan, I think you should be... Uh, uh, happy because, you know, that's pain enough, right? That's punishment enough, you know? Being a Cowboys fan, there's few things uh, more painful in America uh, than that, you know, outside of Biden's economy and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm just, you know, look, uh, they won't address any, in the denial, right? So Kamala Harris says we've got a sec- secure border. Captain's a Dolphins fan. Well, that's, oh, maybe he's not a Dolphins fan, but that's worse than being a Cowboys fan. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I know about the Dolphins is um, Ace Ventura. Um, that was a great movie. Okay, so back when we made comedy, you know, we don't do that anymore. You know, there's too much truth in that. It's too devastating to the Democrats' lives. So, look, the economy, inflation, the, the economy, inflation, the, uh, the border, gas prices, they won't fix any of it. They just don't want to be blamed for it. And just wants to cover it up. He created the inflation problem. He created the gas energy crisis. He created the border crisis. What's his solution? Make everything worse. Create a recession and deny that we're in one. This economy is strong as hell, he says, while he eats his frickin' ice cream. Oh, man. Hey, uh, Mayor in Palo Paso, just pretend that there's no border invasion. And it'll just, you know, magically go away. Begs the Saudis, but he won't create any more energy, won't drill for more oil here. No, 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 no. Got to make everything worse. <clears throat> it's all intentional, folks. All right. We got about 10 minutes, close to 11 minutes left here. 
I just want to move on here and just address uh, uh, what's going on. A couple of things. We'll see what we can get to. But, you know, <clears throat> I was speaking before about how we seem not to, to learn from anything. We, we, in fact, seem to be determined to uh, do things that we know fail and lead to catastrophe. You would think that after the COVID-19 virus uh, escaped a Wuhan lab of virology, that, you know, we helped fund that gain-of-function research that created the virus, you would think that we would have some concern about that type of research, right? We would not want that to happen again. We would be very cautious. Well, Boston University is uh, here. That's right. That's in Massachusetts for uh, some of the Dems out there, right? Boston is in Massachusetts. So Boston University, not to be confused with Boston College or Harvard, Boston University, so uh, they are, uh, well, they, 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 their lab created a COVID strain with an 80% kill rate amongst mice. 80% kill rate. So gain-of-function research, remember, is very controversial because it was essentially banned anyway. And then, you know, Fauci and his cronies went ahead and found a way to, to, to fund it anyway because it's dangerous, right? Did we not just go through two years of a pandemic because of gain-of-function research? Oh, no, 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 that's right. I forgot. The Chinese are still telling us that it uh, came from a wet market, right? Somebody took a bite out of a bat, and from there we had COVID-19, because that that's, makes a lot of sense. So, you know, these people, the, the researchers at Boston University are intentionally making this pathogen more dangerous and lethal. Why would we do this? To study it? After everything we've just been through with COVID? <coughs> are we nuts? And the Boston Public Health Commission approved this. So, oh, that, that makes it okay, right? Oh, the Bo Boston Public, they probably think that men can have babies as well. I, I, I kid you not. If I looked it up, I bet I'd, I'd discover that, you know? So with the Boston Public Health, so they approved this. This is a good thing, they say, right? I mean, what could possibly go wrong, you know? No COVID virus has ever in the history of mankind escaped a lab anywhere. This has never happened in recent memory, correct? I mean, I mean, you know, I, I just want to explain how I, look, you know, I know, I know kind of like uh, Katanji Brown Jackson out there, like, you know, I'm, I'm no biologist, but, you know, I can, I can define a woman. You know, I'm, I'm no scientist here or, or immunologist. Uh, I don't have an MD, as a matter of fact, just to be fully transparent here. Uh, but I do have a brain, uh, which, which offsets a lot of that. And, you know, COVID has significantly weakened, right? So it's mutated into a far less lethal, dangerous pathogen that we now can just, we have to live with. And this is what viruses do, right? They aim to infect but not kill because they're trying to survive. It's very basic stuff, you know, like there's two genders, things like that, you know, things we used to understand. So here they are enhancing it. An 80% mortality rate in mice, I mean... <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. You know, I just, and the communist Chinese are still to this day saying, no, 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 COVID came from a wet market. And this is my point. What's different about the communist Chinese and the Democratic Party? Nothing. They lie. They deny. They try and shape this reality. They try and control the narrative. They silence political opposition. They censor uh, uh, the truth. And so here we go, another, another story to relate to the dark ages we're living in. So the CDC, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not looking at the news. It doesn't really matter right now. Uh, it's going to happen regardless. But the CDC, they're going to vote uh, whether or not to include the COVID shot on, uh, you know, add it to the children's immunization schedules. And this is uh, really a twofer, all right? So they're simultaneously, by doing this, voting to shield Pfizer from any legal repercussions uh, from, from deadly side effects of their vaccine, which we know has harmed countless people. Look, you know, this is one of those things. I don't get into it a ton, all right? Uh, I, I think it's important. There's a lot of people that, 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 that are doing great work talking about this stuff. I understand, like, look, people have been vaccinated. People haven't been vaccinated. You know, that's that's... I'm not here to sit here and try and make people feel bad about whether they got the jab or didn't. That's not my point. But, you know, my point is to be honest and truthful. And I think that this is unbelievable. <clears throat> I mean, what they're doing here 
is they are permanently giving, uh, well, it's, it's legal indemnity is what this is called. So they're going to shield Pfizer by doing this. So by adding this, this COVID shot to children's immunization schedules, if they do that, it will de facto shield Pfizer from lawsuits. So that's what it achieves. You know, think about this. The left says we got to go after these gun and bullet manufacturers, right? We got to sue them into oblivion. If somebody buys, you know, a Glock, we got to go after the, if they use it, uh, you know, make a decision to kill somebody, well, we need to sue the manufacturer of the gun. And here you have them. They want to hold everybody who's, who's killed with a gun, you know, they want to hold the, the manufacturer responsible for those deaths. But, but Pfizer and Moderna, right? No, no, no. They can bring this shot to market without opening themselves up to, to liability, lawsuits, you know? And they're reaping financial windfall. And, you, 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 you know, it was, it was, it, this was a big story, too. And you know it's a big story because the fact checkers are out there. But, um, you know, a Pfizer executive admitted, uh, I think it was last week, that, that uh, the COVID vaccine was never tested to prevent transmission. So they admitted that they didn't know it would, if it would prevent transmission before they brought it to market. And this is important. Now, that, now those fact checkers say, well, that's not a big deal. That's a, now, let me tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is that they didn't know whether it would prevent transmission. They didn't do tests that proved it could do that. And then what happened? Joe Biden, Rachel Maddow, everybody on the left, they tried to get vaccine passports. They tried to mandate the vaccine. They fired people, destroyed their lives. I still am in touch with firefighters in Los Angeles. One of them is still not employed by the fire department. He lost his pension because he was a year or so away from receiving it. They destroyed his life because he wouldn't get vaccinated. A vaccine that didn't do what they said it was going to do. So the fact checker, oh, well, you know, the, the, the Pfizer CEO didn't say it would... Everyone else said it was going to do that. And it came out. These executives said, oh, the vaccine's 91.3% effective against COVID. hundred some of these studies. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. What vaccination? They were never vaccines. They were shots. They changed the definition of vaccine to fit what these vaccines didn't do, which was create immunity. So... I mean, I, you know it. I mean, from, from Fauci to the rest, this, I mean, I'm just looking. I put a little timeline in front of me to look at. I mean, it's, it's astounding. Astounding. All the lies, you know? And then all of a sudden, they just switch and say, well, you know, it's, it's, it protects you. It keeps you, you know, yeah, it doesn't prevent infection anymore, but, you know, it just, you won't die if you get the vaccine. Oh, it, you know, it prevents, you know, uh, what, what do they call it? Breakthrough cases. Oh, yeah, tell that to Joe Biden, who just had a breakthrough case or 10 after getting 60 booster shots. So the controversy isn't that the execs didn't test the vaccine preventing transmission. The controversy is that they pushed vaccine mandates and passports without any knowledge of whether or not they even did that. They ruined lives based on incomplete data to achieve a political objective. They politicized the entire political process and now they're doing it again. And just to, just to finish off with this, the Health Resources and Services Administration, right? So they clarified what needs to happen for a vaccine to become liability-free. For a vaccine to be covered, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention must recommend the category of vaccine for routine administration to children. Okay, there you have it. There's your motivation. They are protecting Pfizer from lawsuits, and now they are giving a justification for school districts around the country to essentially mandate vaccines for children to come to school. You know, with the abortion issue, with the vaccine issue, with all this stuff, do you realize that Europe is far more sane these days than America? Even our socialist counterparts in Europe, right? And I always, I remind you, I lived in Italy five years. Parlo italiano, capisci? Perfetto, eh? Io amo la lingua di italiano, eh? è bellissima. Okay, so I speak Italian. I lived there. I saw it. I had employees. I did the whole thing. You, most of you, I'm not talking down to my, my, my friends here, but you know, you arrogant Democrats out there that want to lecture me about crap, you know, go pound sand. You haven't done half the things I've done. But, um, you know, Europe is not recommending. I mean, they understand that a child does not need this COVID vaccine. And frankly, you know, we've seen vast increases in the percentage of death, especially with young men. 
28% increase in Iceland of deaths in the first quarter of 2022. That's compared to the previous five-year average. Australia, 22% increase in deaths in January. Look, I'm not trying to be some, I mean, maybe I am trying to be an alarmist. You know, I, I, I'm just looking at the facts here like we should. It usually takes seven to 10 years for a vaccine to move from development to market. There's a reason for this. And we didn't do any of that. And so I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but I'm just saying, my God, we're going to subject our children to this ongoing experiment when we know it's already had consequences? All right, folks. Look, midterms are upon us. I cannot believe it. It's shocking to me. Uh, you know, the day will be here before we know it. Um, things are looking good. I just, look, be activated. Take people to the polls. Vote. This is Drew Allen. Uh, God bless you all. And I'll be back with you next Wednesday. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Allen. As Drew Allen. Allen. I look to this guy.